Welcome to IAQ Radio, the voice of the indoor air quality industry. Yes, the rules have changed. listening from and welcome to indoor air quality radio iaq radio for friday may 1st 2009 this week episode 123 comes to you from studio b in beautiful coriopolis pennsylvania my name is joe hughes or radio joe here with me in the studio is my co-host the z-man cliff slotnick hey always my pleasure to work with you good day cliff and we've got environmental annie and kolecki with us good afternoon Hello, Annie. And, of course, at the controls, as always, is the wingman, Chris Boisel. A little closer today, Chris. All right. Today's segments will include the microband trivia question. We've got Mr. Frank McKinney, real estate rock czar. We're really going to have an interesting interview here today. IE Connections, what's news with Glenn Feldman? We'll be at the halftime segment, and then we'll go back, finish up with Frank, and, of course, we'll finish the whole show with the roundup. We've been updating and adding a blog to the IAQ Radio website every week. Check it out at iaqradio.com. Before we get started, got to thank those sponsors. Our newest advertiser is Gray Wolf Sensing Solutions. Gray Wolf Sensing Solutions is the leader in portable, mobile, PC-based indoor environmental monitors and reporting software. Check them out at wolfsensing.com. Legends Environmental Insurance Services, the experts in insurance for environmental consultants and contractors over 20 years. Learn about them at legends-enviro.com. Microband Systems, the microbial management company at microbandsystems.com. Indoor Environment Connections, now available online. It's the newspaper for the IEQ industry. Subscriptions and advertising information available at ieconnections.com. Dry Ease Products, providing equipment for drying water-damaged homes and buildings. Dry Ease is first in drying solutions at dri-eaz.com. John Don Products, a restoration abatement contractor shop at jondon.com. All right. Please thank those sponsors for us. They help uh, bring the show to you here every week. Okay, to contact the show, call 724-444-7444. Our show ID is 1547. You can also download the show through the iaqradio.com site. Just follow the link that says go to the show or get the show from iTunes. Don't forget we have those IICRC continuing education credits and IAQ council renewal credits. Email me and request a quiz at joe.hughes at iaqtraining.com. We also appreciate suggests and questions. You can email the Z-man at cliffzlotnick at unsmoke.com. Last but not least, please visit the IAQ Training Institute website for the most current dates for the training you trust at iaqtraining.com. Let's turn it over to the Z-Man for today's microband trivia question. Thanks, Joe. 
I'm sorry to report no correct answer to last week's trivia question. You can win a cool prize by outcompeting other IQ Radio listeners and being the first person to correctly answer the microband trivia question. Submitting your answer is very simple. Simply email it to cliffslotnick at unsmoked.com. Now for the microband trivia question for Friday, May 1st, 2009. This home, built in the Chateauesque style near Asheville, North Carolina, was constructed between 1888 and 1895. At 175,000 square feet in size and featuring 250 rooms, it is the largest privately owned home in the United States, and it's still owned by descendants of the family that built it. The home stands today as one of the most prominent remaining examples of the Gilded Age, in 2007, it was ranked eighth on the list of America's most favorite architecture by the American Institute of Architects. We want you to name the home and the family that built it. All right. Cliff, are you going to introduce today's guest for us here? I would, Joe. I'd be uh, proud and honored to do that. Today's guest on IQ Radio is Frank McKinney. Frank recently completed construction on Aquiliana, the world's largest and most opulent certified green home, which is currently listed for sale for $29 million. Frank, whom the Wall Street Journal describes as a real estate rock czar, has also been characterized in the media as a daredevil developer, brazen risk taker, and king of the mega mansion. Frank, who wears his hair long like a rock star, is legendary for using extravagant and flamboyant marketing tactics that sell his properties. Fireworks, pirate ships, for promotional purposes, he once jumped over a house, even Evil Knievel style on a motorcycle. Frank has been written about in the Wall Street Journal, Fortune Magazine, and USA Today. TV segments about him have been featured on Oprah and ABC's 2020. Besides his real estate success, Frank is a successful motivational speaker, extreme athlete, personal coach, best-selling author, and philanthropist. Frank McKinney. Frank, welcome, and thanks for joining us today on IQ Radio. Give them the music. Good afternoon, Frank. Are you with us? <laughs> yeah, that was great. Right. I thought I was at church. <laughs> there you go. Well, mansion builder, you know, we try to tie it all together. Real estate, rocks are, you know. Yeah, I thought I was expecting some rock and roll music, guys. <laughs> <laughs> well, Frank, is it true that you were born into a wealthy family, attended European prep and boarding schools, graduated from an Ivy League college, and inherited a big trust fund from your family? <laughs> that's about as off-key as that song was. Um, <laughs> he, uh, no, I, I'm just a corn-fed country boy from Indiana who, who moved down to South Florida uh, after leaving my fourth high school in four years. I didn't have the benefit of pursuing, pursuing a formal education because of, because of my, lack of, uh, my lack of application in high school. So I came to Florida with a $50 bill and, and uh, started digging sand traps on a golf course. 
uh, earning $180 a week. And I was really, I tell you what, guys, I may believe in the welfare system, what it was intended to do, but I don't believe in the welfare mentality. It's a mm-hmm. big difference. So I was proud to have a job and out there pursuing uh, my highest calling. I talk about my very first book that came out in 2002, Pursuing One's Highest Calling. Uh, so there was no there was no education beyond high school, and with the 1.8 grade point average, I don't think there was even any hope of formal <laughs> education. Uh, but I, you know what? I, I dug those sand traps. I was proud to do it. I was happy to have a job. I was happy to be able to afford rent. And then, you know, eventually uh, I, I moved from maintaining the golf course and maintaining some tennis courts to being actually a certified teaching tennis pro. And that allowed me to be around affluence. I was around people who who were basically living the lifestyles of the rich and famous back in the mid '80s when that you know Robin Leach mm-hmm. show came out. And boy, oh boy, did I want to live it! And uh, I learned from the folks that I taught tennis to. To be honest with you, I, I earned my PhD in entrepreneurship or my my master's in real estate, if you will, from from folks that I taught tennis to out, out there on the tennis court. You know, 15 minutes at a time. I asked them the question: You know, how how did you get to live like this? And what what did you do to to afford this kind of lifestyle because you, you guys you remember back when you're in your early 20s how impressionable you are especially with materialistic things yep. and boy did these people have it dripping off of them and, and i wanted it and uh and they they were the ones who encouraged me to pursue a career in real estate so you know almost 25 years ago i i started uh i started buying and selling real estate and now we're building uh some pretty large spec homes what i'm curious what other one or two really good pieces of advice did these people give you? I'll tell you what, um, you know, it was good because it was running already through my veins, uh, and that is the ability to take risk. It doesn't mean that, um, you know, I, I learned from, from these guys that, that those who took risk early in their lives were the ones who were rewarded. And I was a, I was a, I was a irresponsible risk taker as a young man, and when I learned to channel that, that ability to take risk into a responsible manner I, uh, I i was able to to step out you know what we're all born with a nine to five mentality we really are there's no born real estate investors there's no real born entrepreneurs you are made and and many of the people i taught tennis to uh were nine to fivers but they took their discretionary money and took the risk and invested into real estate and so you know they they, they encouraged me to especially at a young age when you can afford to take more risk was to do so and that is one of my most favorite chapters in, in Actually, it's been in two of the five books that I've written. Is is to exercise your risk threshold like a muscle. Eventually, it will become stronger, able to withstand greater pressure. Annie. And Frank, what in your own words, what is a real estate artist? Very important. Uh, there, there are a lot of real estate investors. There's a lot of, of real estate contractors and rehabbers and flippers and wholesalers and retailers short sellers. I mean, there's a lot of ways to make money in real estate. And from the very beginning, when I bought that first 620-square-foot house, two-bedroom, one-bath in a really bad part of town, it was a crack house. Not as in cracked foundation, but crack cocaine. I mean, it was just a really beat-up piece of junk. And I treated it as a blank canvas, like an artist would treat a blank canvas. And I didn't know I was doing it at the time, but I don't look at our projects back then and even now as purely bottom line driven. If you are if you take an artist approach to whatever you enjoy in life, whatever whatever wherever you derive your income, 
and you have the passion that an artist does to create a beautiful painting or a beautiful sculpture, regardless if you have an artistic talent or not, I then took that, that artistry, if you will, and now create the most or some of the most beautiful – I do know the answer to your trivia question, by the way, but I'm not going to I figured it. that you did. But actually, I think somebody just beat you. They yeah, just texted yeah, it in here. Yeah, so. yeah. Okay. Well, you, you, you create artistry on a sun-drenched canvas called the Atlantic Ocean, and, and you have the world's wealthiest that can afford to buy a house. Let's say this house, Aquiliana, that we just finished at $29 million. Uh, but they get, to, they, get, they get the benefit of, of an emotional return from that art, and, and that's the same – feeling that you would get at staring at a Van Gogh or a Renoir or Monet, but they get to live inside of that emotional return, and they get a financial return. Typically, when somebody sells one of our houses, they, they, they make more money than I do uh, by selling it to them because the resale values are, are pretty substantial. So, you know, I think it's um, – yes, I'm a businessman. I don't want to be a starving artist. Believe me, I don't have any <laughs> desire to do that. But I'm, I'm pretty proud of the fact that when people walk through our houses, and these people have seen some of the most beautiful homes in the world, that their jaw is still kind of scraped up from dragging across the ground, knowing that they haven't seen artistry like this on a residential scale. You know, not everyone, and I guess maybe it's envy, but not everyone appreciates what you're doing. And I'm sure that people are critical of it, and you know, they might describe your homes as being brazen or huge or gargantuan and you know some people might even refer to it as being vulgar or a monstrosity how do you respond to that <laughs> well first of all uh, every great idea starts out as a blasphemy after <laughs> <So laughs> you've heard that statement before i forget who made it up but uh, i didn't but it's true uh when, when you're a market maker and you're a visionary and you take risks that nobody else can imagine uh, there, there is going to be those who are going to take shots, and, and so when when you have um, when, when you don't have the pedigree, at least I didn't have the pedigree. I'm not a I'm not an architect, but I design the houses. I'm not a builder, but I build them. I'm not a salesperson, but I sell them. I'm not an interior designer, but we sell them fully furnished. You know, my my thumbprint is on every square inch of a house, uh, and they tend I I build big houses. That's what I do for a living, and, and I've I've built much bigger houses than the one we just finished. And, kind of get into the whys of that later but you know the, the, the folks that call them uh, vulgar or brazen or whatever the the adjectives that you use there are typically they're not my buyers either you know I mean <laughs> anybody's gonna buy a house like uh, like that is not gonna is not gonna uh, verbally depreciate it like that so it comes with the territory hey you know what I get down on my hands and knees at night and I pray for pray for the more you know whatever the same like oh, I'm sure all of you do if you pray you pray for more health more wealth more happiness more love interest, more peace on earth, uh, and, and to have that prayer for more answered, there sometimes comes some baggage, and, and the naysayers are part of the baggage, so it's part of the prayer, it's part of the, the territory, and it, and it goes with the territory. I'm, I'm cool with it. Well, let's, let's move on to what, I'm not sure if this is your first USGBC, um, and that's U.S. Green Building Council. We have the acronym police here, Frank, so be careful. Uh, LEAD H type property or not is this the first and then could you tell us what a lead h program or what the lead h program is sure it is our first uh, the lead h program leadership in environmental and energy in energy and efficiency and design lead l-e-e-d h stands for home uh as mandated by the united states green building council it's a brand new program 
for homes. It's been around industrially. It's been around uh, commercially for quite some time. But we were part of the pilot program, uh, as well as other residences around the country. And, and basically it focuses on five criteria, five um, elements to, to becoming a certified green home. And I'll be short with them. Energy efficiency, water reclamation, indoor air quality, material selection, and site stewardship, responsible site, site stewardship. And you're graded, you're ranked, you're given points based upon how, how green you are in those applications. It's a rigorous process. My, my final report from the, the United States Green Building Council alone was 147 pages. Uh, there are green police that are crawling all over the house at, at, at my invitation. I'm happy to have them there. Uh, it, is the, it is the preeminent certification. So if anybody's thinking about ha having a home certified as a new home or a house that's been uh, restored, uh, I, I strongly encourage you to go through the, the United States Green Building Council's Lead H program. Now, I'm we're familiar. I'm I'm a little more familiar with the um, existing programs, the commercial type programs that existed previously, and the home program is new. And uh, I'm I'm wondering, will you do this again? You know, it's funny how many people ask that question, and it's and, and my answer is um, it's you don't put your training wheels back on your bike. You know, <laughs> once you've done things this one way, there's absolutely no desire to go back. Great. I. I I, I, I now, I would be foolish to do so. It, it, we're way ahead of a trend that is coming. You know, in America, uh, because we've done a tremendous amount of studying when it comes to, to, to market research, we are so far behind. The greening of America, especially residentially, is so far behind other, you know, Europe, uh, the Scandinavian countries, even other parts of, of America are further along than we are here in South Florida. Sure. So, you know, when, when, in the media, you often hear people use a baseball analogy that we're in the fifth inning of the credit crisis, you know, the, the sixth inning of the mortgage correction, et cetera, et cetera. In the greening of America, we're at the national anthem stage. We, we haven't even got to the first inning. So to be a part of that new process and have go having gone through uh, three iterations of the pilot program, now they've formally adopted the, the lead, lead for Homes program, uh, I, I have a tremendous amount of knowledge that will save me time and money next time I do it. I would imagine this too also helps with the, the question that Cliff asked, you know, about the fact that these are very large homes and they, you know, they're obviously going to take some energy, but at least you're building them in a green manner. Um, the you're, other, go ahead. No, I, you, you're, you're on to something that we've been struggling with. I'll be honest with you is, is, um, is it, is a green home an oxymoron? Mm-hmm. Sorry, is a green mansion an oxymoron? Is, is a big green home a blasphemy to the purists that are out there? Uh, and, and I've taken some heat about that. It's just, you know what, the, pro, the whole program really was designed, in, in short, more bodies, less square feet, is really what the, the USGBC wants to see mm -hmm. in residentially. But that's not what I do for a living. You know, I don't build little houses. I build big ones. Since the Roman era, there have been big homes, and there have been wealthy that have wanted to live in them. So why not? If I'm purist, then I'm going to take this kind of idiotic, oxymoronic argument and say there's no such thing as a green mansion, which is I've proven them untrue. I'm a realist that says big homes are going to be around. They're not going away. Not only were we certified by the USGBC as a lead-age house 
at the silver level, guys, and they go they go from certified, silver, gold, and platinum. So there's four different levels. We hit silver. If it wasn't for the penalty that I was assessed by the USGBC for the size of my house, a 21-point penalty, I would have been five points away from platinum. Hmm. That's how green my house is. And we were also certified by the, by the Florida Green Building Coalition and the EPA through their Energy Star for Homes program. So I'm triple certified. So I've proven that it can be done. The carbon footprint of my house at 15,000 square feet is the same as a house a third of its size. So I can pass any test any purist wants to put me through. Uh, and, and, and proven now that you can't, if, if they're going to build big houses, which they're going to continue to be built, we can or others can build them green. Well, you know, one other thing, I kind of compared your house to former uh, vice president's house, and your house is 5,000 square feet bigger and only uses one-third uh, the amount of energy that he consumes. That's right. And I've got a bio, I, our house has a biofeedback system that is really cool. You can actually go, you know, biofeedback as in, and as, as in uh, medicine where you can, hook yourself up and you can see your heart rate you can calm yourself you can watch your heart rate go down well in, our, in this case our house is hooked up it has its own heart rate we call this energy efficiency model and in real time almost like the new york stock exchange you can see what kind of energy carbon and dollars this house is consuming from an electric water and gas standpoint right on the on home automation screen at from any actually from any television in the house Annie? nobody's got something like that no annie yeah, um, percentage-wise, how much more does it cost to build green? Good, and it's a good one. Uh, you know, like anything that's new, it costs a little bit more now than it will a year from now. At our level, the to go green, to build this house green, as at, at, at last count, probably increase my uh, building cost by f around five to six percent. I'm not finally done with the tallying because we just finished the house. But it won't be, let's say it's not more than 6%. Beautiful thing, though, is when you take this to the macro market, which is the production level, uh, you, you can build a greenhouse for between 2 to 3% more than the typical production cost. And, and here's a statistic that will blow you away. You know, with, with, the, with the real estate crisis in the country and nobody wanting to buy, a lot of people on the sidelines, the, 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 the National Association of Realtors did a study of people that were on the sidelines uh, and said, hey, if we could, if, if you had a greenhouse that was either built green or certified green, uh, would would that cause for you to buy? And 46% of the people who were not willing to buy said yes, and they would. They went further to say they would be willing to pay more for a greenhouse. Same reason that you go to the store and pay a little bit more for a fluorescent light bulb. People are carrying that same mentality through to residential construction. Yet there's nothing to choose from. You know, they're. At the, the, there, there, there's millions and millions of homes in, in, in this country, and only a, you know a couple hundred have been certified green. So, you know, the demand is there, the supply is not, and it's up to us as as, an, as real estate entrepreneurs to to create that supply. Frank, how does the house manage water? Uh, pretty simple. Uh, well, maybe it's not that simple, but I'll make it simple. We, we collect all the runoff from the roof, which you can imagine there's a lot of roof area in this house. And it's uh, it's collected, it's it's treated or filtered, and it's put it's put into a water garden, which is is a beautiful, uh, meandering, serpentining water garden that's actually swimmable. And then we can draw from that water garden, almost like an above ground cistern, to irrigate the landscape. The house 
uses, uh, as far as a, a little statistic here, it it by 68%, we reduce the amount of uh, potable water used for irrigation because of that glorified, you know, above ground cistern. We go through a xeriscaping process here, so most of the plant material that we plant does not need a lot of water, and there's not a lot of turf. On the 1.6 acres where we finish this house, the, the, the turf coverage is less than 10%. The other uh, thing that you – what about uh, indoor air quality, Frank? How, what types of measures did you take to help ensure and improve indoor air quality in the home? Well, it, start, it starts with the, you know, down here we don't have a lot of heat. We don't use our heat for about, you know, five, six times a year. So it's really the air conditioning and the system. The, the, first of all, the SEER rating on the system uh, is very important to the energy efficiency model. And then once the air is inside the house, the, uh, the insulation that's, that's put into the house, the, uh, the, the no or low VOC paint, matter of fact, Another stat uh, here is is 93% of the paint finishes and coatings were were low or no VOC in this house. So the you know inherently they're not giving off any of the noxious gases that create poor indoor indoor air quality. Whatever is given off, I think you had a, a, a uh, an advertiser that's a filter company. Yep. Well, they, what, what was they sell some filters anyway. We've got several on here that sell filters. Yeah. Well, the filter, the MERV filters that are used in the house are critical. There's a lot, obviously, there's a lot of air conditioning that's moving through the house. The uh, dehumidifiers are critical to keeping the mold and mildew down, which you know, there won't be any. But if there wasn't the dehumidifiers in there, oh, even the, the backing on this carpet, and we have all wool carpet from Holland in this in this house, and the backing that kind of holds it together. You know, if you ever turn over a piece of carpet, you'd see all this glue. Ours is made out of tree sap. Uh, which does a fine job holding together, and it doesn't give off any gases, and it's you know it's a completely green material. So from top to bottom, even the furnishings that my wife put into the house, uh, all have have the you know the grass cloth and 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 the the, the types of materials that were not made with the chemicals. So when they came to test our indoor air quality, and they do, man, they came in with these these testers. Uh, our the indoor air quality in our, in our house was three times better than that of, of an operating room. And, uh, you know, those are supposed to be pretty clean. Yeah, supposed to be <laughs> is the key phrase, there, the key words there, Frank. Um, do you have any built-in uh, measurement or monitoring system for the indoor air quality? We do not. Okay. No, we don't. All right. Just curious. Annie? Yeah, Frank, when some people think of green, they think of recycling. Did you happen to use any recycled building materials in the home? Yeah, recycle on two fronts, Annie. One is... Uh, Give you another stat here. Mm -hmm. um, 75% of our construction waste never made it to a landfill. Wow. That's really impressive. You, you figure it, 19 months of construction, there were a ton of dumpsters, 40-yard dumpsters. These are the biggies that were culled through, and 75% and, and of the material cost me a lot more money to do it. You know, that's where, that's where some of the added cost was experienced. That we, all that trash was culled through, and 75% of it was recycled, and only 25% of it made it to a landfill. Whereas in the past, I mean, talking like three years ago when I would build a big house, every bit of it would have gone to a landfill because we didn't know any better. And then, and then speaking of not knowing any better, you know, I, I built a lot of beautiful homes, and, and, and you know, like Brazilian cherry or mahogany flooring. Well, you know, you're, t you're talking 50-plus years for those trees to grow to reach maturity before they're cut down. And here we're using them on floors and, and you know and furniture and things. In this house, there isn't a, a species of wood that that wasn't either 
um, reclaimed, meaning it, 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 it was already dead uh, and already been felled, or renewable within less than five years. So, for example, our outdoor decks all reclaimed teak. This teak was mined from old ship graveyards, these big ships that have been decommissioned, and they have these old teak decks that are all weathered. Well, you got guys that are out there, they're smart, they're mining that wood, they, they, they pull all the nails out of it, they strip it, and they treat it, and they sell it, and, they, and it, it fetches a pretty penny. Um, so all of our decks are reclaimed teak. We have some reclaimed river bottom cypress wood, again, very expensive wood, but it's just beautiful wood that's been sitting on the bottom, in this case, on the bottom of the Suwannee River for over 100 years. We used uh, coconut floors. I tell you what, Annie, if they weren't green, I would still use them. The most beautiful wood I've ever seen in my life. Oh, you know, it's one of those things when we're showing the house, I, I say, hey, look at these floors, they're coconut. And, you know, oh, by the way, they're green. <laughs> and, you know, they're just so beautiful. Wow. A lot of bamboo floors, you know, so all the stuff. We use one, one strand of bamboo that, that regenerates or regrows 90 feet in a year. It's, it's called guadas from Colombia. 90 feet. You can, you can go out there and hear it growing. It grows so fast. Interesting. Wow, that's really neat. Annie, I think you had one I do have another. I do have another question, but um, what is the most expensive room in the building and why? Oh boy, I probably and it's probably not the greenest room in the in the house. It's the um, it's the uh, it's her master bathroom. Wow. Her master bathroom is uh, is is a is a stunning assault on your senses. It it is uh, you've got this pink onyx from Pakistan where you know you you know of, of onyx in your ring or in your you know your necklace, but these are slabs uh, four by eight foot, actually four by ten foot tall slabs of this beautiful pink onyx in her shower that. You could, I mean, you could wash the Brady Bunch in the shower. There, there's, there's a ton of room. Or you, it's big enough to keep any marriage that's on the rocks together. I can <laughs> promise you that. It's a stunning, and you know, just we, we've made the vanities out of the onyx, and the, and the, the we have a reclaimed mahogany tub that that a, a six foot six person could lay in it without problem. It's a beautiful tub, all reclaimed, a wooden tub. That tub was extremely expensive. So that room, her room, her master. She's got her own flat screen TV that's built into her vanity. Uh, it, it's it's probably the prettiest room in the house. Well, I'd say you earned some points with me there, Frank. <laughs> <laughs> well, Frank, she's getting ready to get married here, yeah. so she's thinking about honeymoon. <laughs> well, yep, bring Mr. Down here and tell him he's going <laughs> to buy that house for you. <laughs> I'll try to persuade him. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Hey, at this point, Frank, we're going to take our halftime break. And listeners, I see the questions you're posting in here. We will get to them. We, uh, we, promise, we actually yeah. promised to get to those. And we had, the only reason we held off is we had already planned on talking about those issues in a moment okay today for halftime we've got indoor environment connections with mr glenn feldman let's see if we've got some intro music for glenn day mr fellman are you with us i'm with you joe great right. show today Thanks. thank you what's uh what's uh, news glenn what's news well i you know what else is news besides the flu 
Uh, that has got to be the number one indoor air quality issue in in, in the world, yes, obviously. Um, and I, I don't like calling it swine flu because I feel really bad for the pork industry. You are not going to get swine flu. You aren't going to get the flu by eating uh, tainted pork products. That's, that's, that's not how it's transmitted. So uh, the, swine ind- the pork industry is taking it on the chin with this one. In any event, um, it's, it hit close to home for me today, Rockville High School in Rockville, Maryland, uh, where my headquarters office is located, is closed today mm. because a student has uh, a suspected case of the flu. Uh, he was in school on Monday, but uh, he left school Monday, and uh, the school was open Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, and uh, they just decided to close it today. So anyone who was going to be exposed got exposed on Monday, was surrounded by the uh, uh, remaining germs for the rest of the week. And that seems to be kind of the kind of thing we're seeing all over the country. Very, very um, conservative approaches, you know, close the school down, the entire city of uh, Fort Worth, where uh, I have two telecommuting employees, their kids are home this week because their their schools are closed. Uh, the supermarkets are closed in Fort Worth, I'm told by my employees who work down there. So it's a really fascinating indoor environmental story, and the, and the question is, you know, is this going to be like it was uh, back in the 19, I think it was 1976, when we had a uh, uh, another swine flu scare that turned out to not be a scare, but uh, a lot of people got vaccinated. Some people actually got sick because of the vaccines. Uh, is it going to be like that, or is this the real pandemic? Is this the real thing that we've been fearing would happen for so many decades, and, and, and maybe it's here, and time will tell. So uh, that's, uh, you know, the best thing I can tell people to keep up on that is, is you know, go right to the main the, the mainstream news sources, uh, the CDC website, uh, CNN website, and that kind of thing. Okay. Now, within the pages of Indoor Environment Connections for May, we are covering some issues that are not uh, happening as, as uh, hour to hour, but rather more day to day. The cover story for May is Congress, U.S. Congress and state governments are investigating imported drywall. The story that we broke in January uh, continues to get bigger and bigger. Uh, the federal government and several state governments are ratcheting up their efforts to find out whether drywall that has been imported into the U.S. from China in the last four years is posing a hazard to the health and indoor quality of the homeowners that have used it. Uh, on April 8th, uh, U.S. Senators Bill Nelson, a Democrat from Florida, and Mary uh, Landrieu, a Democrat from Louisiana, proposed legislation that would uh, uh, initiate a recall through the Consumer Product Safety Commission for this Chinese uh, drywall and put a ban on it. Now, I don't know how you recall drywall that's been installed in a home, uh, put up and painted, but th- that, that will be an interesting thing. But that's, that's, that's a piece of legislation that is currently pending in the U.S. Senate, and we'll, we'll see where that goes. Meanwhile, uh, Florida Attorney General uh, and the Louisiana Governor, uh, who are both Republicans, have initiated their own investigations of the problem. We'll have to ask Frank, Another, Frank how he uh, avoided, avoided getting it, some yeah. of that drywall. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I'd lo- lo- love to have you bring that up with them. Um, second story I wanted to bring people's attention to that's uh, on page 13 of our, of our May issue is about a new uh, licensing law in Virginia. Virginia is among several states now that are going to be licensing mold remediators and mold inspectors. Virginia had uh, something called the uh, Virginia Board of Asbestos, Lead, and Home Inspectors is now going to be known as the Virginia Board of Asbestos, Lead, Mold, and Home Inspectors, and they're adding a few people to it. 
and by July 1st, 2010, it is expected that they will have rules in place for the licensure of mold inspectors and mold remediators, and that may be based on state exams or it may be based on existing industry exams. The, uh, the, the law would allow for either, depending on what the regulatory authorities decide to do. So that's something we'll keep a close watch on. All right. That's that's uh, the top three for today. You got a great guest, and I want you to get back to your guest and keep the interview going. I'd be happy to uh, to stick around for more news, but I think people want to hear about uh, about greenhouses. I know I do. Sounds good. Thank you, Glenn. Thanks for joining us. Let's get Doctor Dieter on the line. Let's bring Frank back on the line. Let's see if uh, Doctor Dieter any questions, comments. Yeah, I have a couple, and uh, Frank made a couple of. Of, of excellent remarks, I think. And the one thing has something to do with water. And uh, I wish I could collect more water. It's, it's going to be difficult in a retrofit. If somebody would have thought about that 30 years ago when my little house, a little bit less than a couple of million dollars, was built, um, I, I actually feel guilty, believe it or not, when I flush the toilet and I take treated water for which I have to pay in quite a bit by now, and use that to flush my toilet. Now, where I am living, I'm not allowed to dig a well, even though my location would be almost perfect for that. And I guarantee you that within about 20 or 25 feet, I would hit a, a, a spring. But anyway, I, I, I think we have to rethink that. I'm collecting my condensation water from my heating and air conditioning system. And it is amazing how much water is dripping in my bucket in my laundry room during the winter. That's the condensation from burning methane. And it's even more amazing how many buckets of water I take out of there during the summer when it drips out uh, uh, down there. So that, that is, uh, I think we have to really look into that. The other thing, and Frank made another good uh, re uh, remark over there, is with the better quality, and I remember the wise words of my father, who was quite well-to-do, and he taught me when I was 10 years old, said, Dieter, I'm not rich enough that I can afford to buy something that's cheap. And it is absolutely true. I wish I would have, I mean, I gladly would have paid another 1000 or $2,000 on my house if I would have gotten a better garage door, a couple of better windows, uh, some of the faucets were lousy. I had to replace those. And it could have been done uh, before. And another thing that may have something to do with green is that radon. Apparently, uh, um, systems which if, if you were to install a four-inch pipe below the, uh, the concrete slabs of a house and even put in a little fan on the day and then the house is built, it virtually costs nothing. Absolutely. And it will take care of that, uh, uh, the radon problem if there is one. In my house, I have a, uh, a slight problem, but I'm not going to tear down my house because of it. Well, and the other thing, having worked in the Graduate School of Public Health, if you take a million people and you vaccinate them, you better expect that there are quite a few who have adverse reactions. Yes, sir. And we learned that every time, it's one of those things that anybody in epidemiology learns on day one, said, you know, you got to watch that. And not every shot that you get is absolutely uh, fantastic. All right. Well, the other right. thing, I think bamboo grows like crazy, too, if I'm not mis uh, mistaken. 
And I have seen, by the way, the cypress and um, uh, a coconut uh, wood, which is absolutely incredible. The, I saw cypress wood uh, that was like a thousand years old, or maybe it was 500 years old, in a bog. It was, I mean, away from uh, oxygen, and uh, uh, it 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 was absolutely fantastic. And yes, I have a couple of instruments in my house made from bamboo, which are absolutely gorgeous. Excellent. Well, Dieter, let's see if uh, Frank has any comments on what you just brought up. Frank? While I was waiting at your halftime there, I um, you know, Dieter mentions about spending a little, a little bit to save a little later, and we put in a pretty substantial solar system, uh, solar system on the on the south side of the house covers almost a basketball court not only did we do that we, we we poured our wall solid concrete now that's important for hurricane protection down here we have a lot of hurricane anxiety with our buyers and i'm there to mitigate that and so these this isn't a concrete block house which is a which is a wonderful way to build this is a solid poured concrete house that we we then as it's curing we put the insulation the polystyrene uh seven inches of it on the inside as the concrete's curing so my r rating which is an insulation rating on my exterior walls is 19, which is unheard of down here. My R rating in my ceiling, my attic space is 40, 41. Now, you combine all of that with the, the thickness of the hurricane glass, the, the turtle tint, which is foreign to everybody else but, but us down here, where we put the specific tint on the windows so the turtles don't become disoriented and think that the lights are actually the moon, the lights of the house are the moon, and they, they kind of get disoriented when they hatch, and they, they could be... Uh, you know, walk over the road or get, get get killed or tired out by walking the wrong way instead of walking the ocean. You combine all of those things, and and I'm here waiting for your halftime to get over, and I get a I get a little pop up from our accountant or our bookkeeper saying it's time to pay the electric bill. Fifteen thousand seventy one square feet. I've got I've got a tremendous amount of lighting in both interior and exterior. I've got seven air conditioning units. I've got an aquarium that has pumps in it. I've got a water floor that has pumps in it. I've got that water garden and waterfalls and water walls. A lot of stuff. You know how much my electric bill? I just popped up on my screen. I was talking to you. $1,184. Now, that's a lot of money to the average person. But for a house of this size, believe me, that's like 20 to 30% of what we were used to paying prior to selling the house. And it's not that the ultra-wealthy, the guy who, who buys my house can afford a $7,000 electric bill. That's nothing to him. But the fact that, think about that carbon footprint, $1,184. Now, I'll never see this. Well, until I sell the house, I'll see the savings. But when somebody buys that house, all of those savings that Dieter was referring to, spending a little bit more to have that kind of benefit, that's significant. I mean, that is that that just takes all the naysayers and puts them in their place. When I can show them an electric bill, there were some days last um, last week and the week before, guys. We have a bi-directional meter. Yes. You, you know what that is, right? Absolutely. My meter was spinning backwards. Nice. I was, you know, that's talk good. about beating the man. That's a good. You want to beat the tax man, <laughs> and you want to beat the electric provider. I was, I was actually selling electricity back to the provider on a house that big. That is, that's just unheard of. So, that would be my only. That would be the the, the response and the and the uh, the chorus. I would like to to sing with there with Dieter, and that and that you know why not spend a little bit more money now to boy realize the savings down the road. 
Well said. You also touched on a um, subject that we got a text question on. It was the first one, so I want to want to go to that first. Um, you touched on it, but let's maybe get in a little more detail. It's it's how do you correlate green with sustainable construction in a high velocity hurricane zone? Well, that's uh, it's very. I think by default they come together down here. Our construction standards since Hurricane Andrew in '92, and then again with Wilma. Uh, and and the the I forget the name of the hurricane that hit Louisiana. You know we Katrina. we Katrina right. We who build on the ocean. Uh, I have to get a permit from the federal government, the state government, the county government, and the municipal government to build on the ocean. It is a rig. It's one of the par- parts of my job that I hate. Actually, it's just all of that red tape that I have to go through. So with the, the 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 green element when it comes to hurricane is the sustainability is the durability component and so when 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 my house this house aquiliana is built on 202 pilings that go 40 feet into the coral shelf that are secured to the bottom of the foundation i gave you the thickness of the walls the fact that they're poured concrete that my my roof tiles are glued down foamed down nailed down and screwed down you know that house is a hurricane shelter it is, and I, you laugh, but I, I, that will be the place when the hurricane comes and I'm told to vacate my house, which was built in 1935 out of wood. I mean, it's still here, but I, don't, I really don't know how. It, is I, will go to the, I will go to Aquiliana, and I will take my family up there, and, and there's no shutters on this house. The glass is, is one laminate below bulletproof. It, it's rated to 210 miles per hour. So all, all of those elements combined speak to the durability issue which speaks to the, 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 the lack of need to replace a house like that, which is really the ultimate renewable statement. Well said. I've got another one here. Um, there are two uh, LED indoor air quality related points available, um, I guess 3.1 and 3.2. They require the development and implementation of a construction IAQ management plan during construction. And let's see, credit 3.2 requires pre-occupancy phase after construction is completed immediately prior to conduct a two-week building flush out or IAQ testing. Which credit did you uh, act, achieve and uh, did you do the testing or the flush out? We did both. Now, th- now the flushing the flushing is really in my opinion the more appropriate way to go. Is 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 you know it's it's tough because here you're down here you're on the ocean you got to make sure that you're not having a lot of uh, salt intrusion because the salt is one of the things that uh, having nothing to do with green. It's just a very corrosive environment uh, building on the ocean. So we, we had to be very careful in what we protected, but we did. We opened that whole house up. We ran. I know exactly the, the criteria he's talking about or she's talking about. We had to run the system. We had to flush all that, that air out. Fortunately, because you're on the ocean, you always got a nice little breeze. So uh, so, so we, we, we did that not but maybe um, two months ago. We just finished that part. I just learned. Go ahead. I just, I just wanted. I just learned uh, last week that we got silver. Uh-huh. So because we were initially awarded just certified, and there were a few points like the one that that person was referring to that we went back and appealed, and it took 30 days for them to hear our appeal, and they actually granted our appeal and gave us the 82 points, which got us to the silver level. Excellent. Now I, I have a, a question myself. You talked about some of your energy efficiency and, and in particular you mentioned the insulation on the walls. I'm curious, how did you insulate the below the roof? Did you put insulation on the top of the upper floor or did you put insulation up against the bottom of the roof deck? 
Well, you you are you familiar with isonine? Yes. The blown-in insulation yes, that stuff is wonderful, and we put that we spray that onto the bottom side of the trusses, and then on, because of our our decking is all concrete, all our flooring. Now there is no wood trusses in this house; it's all concrete. So that is sprayed uh, on the bottom side before we lay our piping. For not, not only actually once you're inside the house, once you spray that isonine inside, you're not necessarily you're not insulating the interior from any environmental issue. You're, you're insulating for sound. And so we use it for that reason on the interior and, and, uh, and that building envelope with the, with the polystyrene on the exterior walls and the isonine in the, in the attic. I mean, you know, here we're, we're working in last summer, let's say, the house was dried in and it's July and it's Florida and, and, and it's cool. I mean, the interior of the house is, is relatively cool. I can keep that thing set. I can keep the, the thermostat set at around 78, some places 80 degrees, while we're waiting to sell the house. And and those air conditioners very rarely kick on. It's just it's such a it's such a tight building envelope. I've got one more for myself here, Frank. I'm sorry. What about uh, your ductwork? Is it uh, metal ductwork? Do you have any? Do you have any flex duct in this home? I've got to ask. We do have flex duct. Yes, okay. we we have. To because of the spaces, we do have some flex duct. You are in the flex duct capital of the world. There, I had to ask. Uh, but do yep. you have do you have some hard duct as well, or is it all? Yeah, we do. Well, we could where we could do it. We have it, and sure. and we use we, we use a lot of, you know, the the, the the distribution of air in a house this size is very important, and the and the concealment of that distribution and return is 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 in, is more important to my buyers. So, you know, the linear diffusers and the fact that we conceal a lot of that behind the trim. That, that, that's a that's a very expensive part, and that's not necessarily a green element, but that's more of an aesthetic thing. Uh, so when we're when we're forced, you know, we got we got 14 foot ceilings in some places, and we have this uh, precast concrete between first and second floor, and between second and third floor. Sometimes we're we're not left with a lot of space, so we've got to we've got to use the flex. Frank, you've been in Florida a long time, and you know you mentioned uh, Hurricane Andrew and Hurricane Wilma. And Hurricane Katrina. Have you had any experience with hurricane damage in any of your homes that you've built? Boy, very, very little um, that I've built from the ground up. Since Andrew, because the, the standards, like the, the triple and even quadruple strapping that's required for trusses now, uh, very little stuff. You know, some landscaping blowing over. If I had a hurricane. You know, tomorrow here in Florida, I'd, I'd lose some landscaping because my, my, you know, my trees haven't grown in completely. Right. They're still, we leave the supports around all the palms. We have some beautiful character palms in the landscaping here, and those supports will be left up for six months. But you know, no, I, I don't, I haven't, I haven't. You know, we've, we've restored some houses on the ocean that I had more damage in because they were built to older standards, and you know, even my house is on the ocean. Like I said, it's built in '35. Um, we're surrounded by so many trees. The trees have to buffer a lot of the you know the, the wind and stuff but no i i really haven't had a lot annie yeah um have you been able to assemble a reliable team of architects contractors tradesmen or uh do you rely on a fresh start at each new project well annie in our business or at least the way i approach our business loyalty gets you the first telephone call so if you did a good job with us on the prior project, I will call you first and let you have an opportunity to bid, but it doesn't mean that you're in. You're going to bid like everybody else. It would be foolish not to do that. I mean, you know, you use that Chinese drywall issue. Uh, you know, for us, we, we, have, we use drywall that has recycle, that has a, a recycled content 
percentage. I'm sorry, I don't know what it is off the top of my head, but that has to be certified. And also, because we try to bring our drywall in within a 500-mile radius, which is also a, a pointable element, uh, our drywall didn't come from anywhere near China. But but when it comes to just like drywall in particular, uh, given the slowing economy, if I didn't go out to bid, and we our our drywall contract in this house was a hundred thousand dollars less than the last house I did because the guys were hungry. Uh, so so I do have a I do have a, a good reliable team of, of project managers and and you know foremen, but what we're doing is so new that the mandate that we put out to our plumbers and our electricians and our HVAC people. I mean, this is a greenhouse. This is, we're all learning on this. We're all part of the guinea pig program. So you better be willing to learn with us, and it's not business as usual. And if it's, hey, Frank, you know, we don't do it that way. We don't, we don't insulate our plumbing pipes like that. That's ridiculous. You know what? Then you don't get the job. And, and so it was, I, I think, more than more often than not, our subcontractors and contractors were so happy to, they got paid to learn. You know, I haven't got paid yet. I haven't sold the house yet. But these guys got a contract. They got paid to learn a new application they can put on their resume that they were the plumber or the electrician or the HVAC contractor on the largest green home in the world you know it, it was wonderful and to see the the just the whole team come together and work towards something that hadn't been done before was very rewarding for all all team members Frank before we go to the roundup which will start in just a moment we've got a couple personal questions Cliff um, well I guess my personal question is, you know, ruthless, selfish, greedy, egotistical are all words used to describe Donald Trump. How have you used your success and wealth to help others? Well, first of all, I don't. I know Donald Trump well. Those those aren't really necessarily true. He just he just chooses to portray himself in a, in a certain way. He's a very fine man, and I, I will tell you, for for me, um, hey, one, 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 one of our board members for our charity refers to me as Donald Teresa. <laughs> cross between Donald Trump and Mother Teresa. <laughs> so I, I, I guess that's a nice compliment. But you know what? I know we don't have more, much more time. But but there is. A, I'm an author. I've written five books, and the book that is really doing the best right now is a book titled The Tap. Which if you if you go to our website, which is just my name, Frank Hyphen McKinney, M C K I N N E Y dot com. And you, there's an image on the on the homepage there of all three of the new books, in particular the tap, and it's it's an image of the hand of God coming down from the Sistine Chapel, tapping you on the shoulder and calling you to more. I reference the more the more health, the more wealth, the more happiness, the more love, the more success, what have you. We all pray the selfish prayer for more. It's okay, it's okay to do so, but but God does reward responsible stewards. You know, He He does answer the prayer for more. For those who who are able to live the the uh, the passage from the Gospel of Luke uh, to paraphrase to whom much is entrusted much is expected, and so I take that responsibility very seriously. And we, like a like a you know like a modern day Robin Hood, I guess we 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 sell to the rich and we provide a self sustaining existence to the world's most desperately poor and homeless over in Haiti. So the other complete side of, of Frank McKinney is what I do for our, or through our Caring House Project Foundation, which is build these self-sustaining villages in the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere, uh, that being Haiti. And we, we, we build orphanages and schools and clinics and community centers and houses and renewable food and renewable water in a campus-like setting for folks that are, uh, are, are extremely poor and, and extremely homeless. 
And so that's what I do. I mean, I, you know, all the books we sell, the, the proceeds go to our Caring House Project Foundation. When we ultimately sell a house, we use the proceeds to build new villages over there. Uh, you know, my wife has a great saying. We, we, we build a lot of the big ones so we can build even more smaller ones. And, and, and I'm a statistic guy, so, you know, what I build for a living, those beautiful houses, by the way, if you go to the website, you can see some real pretty pictures of the houses we built. Those cost around $1,200 a square foot. The average house in America, 100 to $120 a square foot. But in Haiti, I can build a concrete house with a concrete floor and a metal roof, two rooms, a kitchen, and a bathroom for 10 bucks, 10 to $12 a square foot. Amazing, uh, and they're they're beautiful, and they house a family uh, of eight that were living under the steps of a church or in a cardboard box before. So that's you know that's the legacy that 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 I hope to leave. I mean, the houses I build, even though they're durable, they'll be gone in in a certain period of time. But 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 what we're doing through our Caring House Project Foundation, and I hope you take the time to listeners to go and and go to the homepage and click on the Caring House Project link and you know see what we're doing for for what you can do too by sharing the three T's. That are often referenced in the Bible, the time, talent, and treasure that you can share with, uh, with those who haven't succeeded yet at your level. That's very uh, commendable. We'll uh, make sure that we put the website up on the webpage, our own webpage, when we're done. And Frank, what are the, what's the name of the other two books? The other two books are Burst This, Frank McKinney's Bubble-Proof Real Estate Strategies. I'll tell you what, I, I was just growing tired of hearing about all the negativity that permeates the airwaves, and I went back and studied six different real estate cycles to show the reader when to prepare for the downturn and when to be ready to profit from the up the upturn, which is we're, we're getting ready to experience now. It's a, it's a very, very good anecdotal read. And then the last book, which I had a lot of fun writing, was my first young reader fantasy novel, uh, Dead Fred, Flying Lunchboxes, and the Good Luck Circle. And that really is, um, you know, I, I work out of a treehouse. I'm talking to you guys out of my treehouse today. <laughs> I wrote all five books from my treehouse. And that's just a, a wonderful a creation of, in creativity, uh, and boy, as I was writing that book, if you if you if you look at that book and you also look at Aquiliana, all of the creativity that was coming out of me as I was writing the fantasy novel was was now displayed in that beautiful home that you see. So they're all doing great. They all were released on the same day, and they're we're out kind of touring them all at the same time. Terrific. Let's go to the roundup here. You got about three more minutes with us, Frank. Sure. Excellent. Thank you. Let's round it up. Annie, you're first. Yeah, Frank, I'm into taking vitamins. I've heard of this vitamin M. What is it, and where can I find it? <laughs> Good one, Annie. Well, vitamin M we don't make internally. It's called motivation. Okay. <laughs> and uh, and I, I tell you what, I, I, I look to those who have walked the talk. I'm not a big motivation guy. I am a person who will read the books I read on my website. You can read top, there's Frank's top ten reading list. And it's really great books that I've I've read, and, and most of those books have been written by people who can walk the talk. That's where I get my vitamin M. Thank you. Cliff? Uh, Frank, uh, you know, you'd mentioned water and water conservation before. Um, do you do anything special in the house with the gray water? Well, the, yes, we have. Unfortunately, down here, we are on a well. Uh, it's odd in this community. There's 
very expensive homes, we are on a well system. So we have a uh, the gray water is 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 separated from the the rest of the water and it's put into an, an emulsifier that actually, uh, if you, you can picture it, uh, a septic drip field. Well, these these are these are fingered uh, these are finger driven drip field where you have I have it's not in one particular location so as that water percolates through this emulsifying system it actually acts as a fertilizer for the foliage that we've planted so we don't we don't reuse it in the sense that you know it goes into its old holding tank it actually is 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 treated uh goes through this emulsifying process and then is used as as uh, fertilized water if you will for our foliage uh, one other thing, Frank, my wife was real impressed with uh, the charity work that you were doing, so I just wanted you to know we'll be sending you a donation from the radio oh, show. Oh, great. You're welcome. You, so ought to, you ought to come to Haiti with us sometime, guys. Well, you we should. Go to the events you. page, click on click on the events, and look at what we're doing. Love to do that, Frank. Let's uh, see if Dr. Dieter has one final comment or question. we got to move quick. Dieter, are, we with, are you with us? Yes, I certainly am, and I would love to see you down in Haiti. I haven't been there in a long time. My uh, French with a German accent, um, <laughs> <laughs> most people don't understand it, <clears throat> but it goes both ways. I don't understand their French. <laughs> so, no, anyway, uh, uh, just, just a little bit, reading between the lines. I, I, I think if you uh, approach a, a, a problem and you use, A, uh, some good common sense, then based on uh, some knowledge and some research, I think you can come up with good solutions. And I think we were too lazy. We were not forced into it uh, in the past. And I think we have to rethink quite a bit to uh, uh, see what is happening to us and the world uh, uh, in the future. And if we decide to have more and more and more and more people in this world, uh, 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 that becomes even more urgent. All right. Well, it's not up. It's not up to us to decide how many people are in the world. But I will agree with you. I will echo your sentiment that you know, let's start small. Look at the kids. Look at the generation of kids that understand recycling and understand energy efficiency. We we just need our generation to, to, that are making the decisions to get with the program. I'm not worried about the next generation when it comes to being a lot greener with the planet. I really am not. I go around. I talk about it all the time. These kids. I, don't neither am I. I think they will learn, and I think that 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 they grow up with it. Yes. They will. Yes, absolutely. Frank, I just have one final question for you. Is there anything you would like to add before we go, anything we missed, anything at all? No, I think that we were involved in so many exciting things, the Aquiliana Project, the three books, the charity. The best way to learn about what we're doing and how to, how to be, a, be a part of it or see some beautiful pictures, not only of these mega mansions that we're building but these villages that we're building in Haiti, is to just go to go to frank-mckinney.com and, and take a look. And, and I think you uh, – You'll be entertained while you're there, and hopefully you'll pick up a book or two, and maybe some of you will decide to go to Haiti with us. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. We really appreciate having uh, Frank on the show today. Frank McKinney, real estate rock czar. We uh, really appreciate having you here, and uh, hopefully we'll see you in Haiti. Thank you, guys. All right. Thank you. Next week, uh, we are going to take a little break on IAQ Radio. We're going to take the week off. Uh, before we go, I want to thank this week's special guest, Frank McKinney. Also want to thank uh, Dr. Dieter for joining us as always. I uh, want to make sure we shout out a thank you to Glenn Fellman for the IE Connections What's News. Of course, uh, my co-host, the Z-Man, Cliff Slotnick. Always a pleasure. Uh, Environmental Annie for helping us out here. And, of course, the wingman at the controls. 
Before we go, we're going to uh, thank our sponsors one more time, but most importantly, thanks to that growing group of loyal listeners, and uh, keep those questions coming in. Join us next week at Friday at noon for the next broadcast of IAQ Radio. Sponsors up. Our newest advertiser is Gray Wolf Sensing Solutions. Gray Wolf Sensing Solutions is the leader in portable, mobile, PC-based indoor environmental monitors and reporting software. Check them out at wolfsensing.com. Legends Environmental Insurance Services, the experts in insurance for environmental consultants and contractors for over 20 years. Learn about them at legends-enviro.com. Microband Systems, the microbial management company at microbandsystems.com. Indoor Environment Connections, now available online. It's the newspaper for the IEQ industry. Subscriptions and advertising information available at ieconnections.com. Dry Ease Products, providing equipment for drying water-damaged homes and buildings. Dry Ease is first in drying solutions at dri-eaz.com. John Don Products, a restoration abatement contractor shop at jondon.com. All right, please thank those sponsors for us. They help uh, bring the show to you here every week. has been another IAQ Radio production. 